Hello friends, DT Kane here. Thanks for tuning in. A uh, quick special announcement here before we get into the podcast. Actually, an apology. I'm not quite sure what happened with the audio on this one. I think I might have inadvertently recorded through the microphone in my web camera instead of the microphone that you see in front of my face here and in every episode. Uh, it's still totally listenable, but there's some you know echo and it's certainly not the sound quality I am used to. But just totally honest, I don't have time to re-record it, so I still want to get it out to you. And it's also just an analysis episode. It's not actual narration, so uh, the audio of the story itself is thankfully unaffected. I guess lesson learned, I will have to do a sound check now before I start each recording session to make sure my microphone is recording properly, but I guess it could be worse. I could have not recorded anything at all and just had been sitting in a room for a half hour talking to myself, which I guess is what I do anyway on the show. But there, there you go. Okay, so without further ado, I'll I'll get you guys over to the actual episode here. But just wanted to give you a heads up about the audio there. Uh, also, uh, you'll hear in my personal update, I talk about driving counterclockwise around the country of Ireland during my vacation. And I realized that I apparently don't know how clocks work because... The route I'm taking is actually clockwise around Ireland. <laughs> so uh, there you go. Uh, but just wanted to note that uh, in case any of you thought I was just a complete, complete failure at geography. I'm not. I'm just a failure at um, the direction that clocks move in. So there you go. Uh, thanks, as always, for tuning in. Um, and we'll be back to regularly scheduled programming of narration and analysis in a couple weeks here. Thanks for... Thanks for listening to the podcast and for your support, and I will talk to you soon. Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Today is May 16th, 2022, as I record this, episode 20. It is my sister Sarah's birthday. Happy birthday, Sarah. A bit different this week. Uh, as we're only doing an analysis section, the last two episodes, I, I'm sure you noticed, were only narration. Um, and that's because by the time you listen to this, I will uh, be in Europe in the midst of a two-week vacation. So I'm doing a, a batch of episodes here ahead of time uh, to make sure that you keep getting your, your weekly hit of, uh, of the book club here. So I'm kind of coming at you uh, from the past. We're doing some time travel here. Whoa. <laughs> uh, right. So, uh, since this will be a couple weeks old by the time it comes out, I'm not going to dwell too long on the personal update here. Uh, but on the writing side, I am nearly done with the first draft of The Spoken Books Uprising Part 4, titled to be announced soon. Keep an eye out for that. Um, wasn't sure if I would uh, make it. Uh, make it. It. Let's fix the old script here. Um, and by that I mean make it before I left for vacation. I didn't want to have like 
a chapter and a half left hanging over my head while I was away for two weeks. But uh, turns out the draft is probably only going to be about 100,000 words, maybe a little less. I've been estimating 110 based on um, <clears throat> kind of the cumulative or the average length of the first three. Um, but so that worked out nicely, and I um, will almost certainly have this draft complete before I leave for vacation, which is happening in four days from the day I'm recording this. Um, I'll probably be daydreaming about the plot for part five while I'm on vacation, because uh, that's a lot easier to do than drafting or editing, particularly when I'm not sitting at a computer very much. Uh, and then I will go back to editing the, the draft of part four once I return at the beginning of June. Uh, as for the vacation, um, a few people have asked, so just really quick, I'm off to Ireland for eight days. Uh, I've been to Ireland once before but uh, can't wait to be back. We are driving counterclockwise around the country. Uh, two days in Dublin, then to Cork, then two days in Kerry, and then we are going up to Innes, which is in County Clare, and then we'll drive through County Clare to see the Cliffs of Mower, and then end up in, uh, well, we'll drive through Galway, and we're staying a little north of Galway. Then we're going to Longford and Kevin counties, which are not really uh, popular tourist destinations, but my wife's family is originally from there, and we're going with her father, who has never been to Ireland, so we got to go to the old family seats, and um, there's still plenty of stuff to do there, so we're going to have a good time, maybe even meet up with a couple of distant cousins. Uh, and then uh, my father-in-law and his wife are flying back to the States, and my wife and I are continuing on. We're going to Paris for a few days, and then Brussels for a couple days, drinking some beer. <laughs> um, and man, I could get into uh, a lot more about all the plans I have, but this is not a travel podcast, so I will uh, restrain myself for now, but I will probably give you some updates in the newsletters, which I'm going to keep trying to release each Friday while I'm away, at least smaller versions of them, uh, so sign up for those. If you haven't already, that's dtkane.com slash email dash sign up. Uh, and I'll, of course, be talking about my trip uh, on the show as well once I return. That'll probably be in episodes 22 and 23. All right, so um, let's talk chapters 24 and 25 now. It might be a week or two since you read slash listened to those. So um, if you need a refresher, you can go back and listen to chapters 18 and 19 before uh, before moving on here. Otherwise, let's go. So chapter 24, A Flying Book, our first subheading here. So we pick up uh, the morning uh, right after Aramir brings Baz and Rox to his cave. Baz gets up with the sun, uh, not because he is all, uh, you know, all ready and rearing to go, but he didn't really sleep at all because he was uh, worrying all night about his pending trip to Tome, taking up all sorts of worst-case scenarios, like Hellar using his influencer to cause rocks to cut Baz's head off. Um, Baz talks about his head rolling away, right? So, <laughs> Great imagery there, Baz. Uh, don't blame you for not falling asleep. Though Aramir does help put Baz's mind at ease a little bit here. Just, you know, we got this nice calm scene when Baz comes out of the cave. You know, the glowing sunrise, Aramir floating in the air, eyes closed, just... He's like rotating, almost picture like a spaceship, just slowly rotating uh, in Earth's 
orbit. His eyes are closed and he's humming a song. It's causing grain to slowly flow uh, out of uh, barrels he's got set up out in the field and his animals are there munching on it. Um, even Baz, surly old Bastion, he has to smile at this scene. Um, then Baz and Aramir have a brief but fascinating discussion. Um, a couple of really interesting, potentially very significant tidbits here. First, Aramir tells us that Prontvi Lextor essentially turned him into a flying book, right? Uh, Aramir says, uh, he illuminated us with the inks of the books, and we became like them. Like them. So, uh, you know, again, don't come right out and tell you. I uh, have faith in you that you can put it all together, but this is how Aramir casts his spells without the books, right? The spells are tattooed right onto him, uh, so he doesn't need books. He is he is his own spoken book. Um, and then, perhaps the observant of you out there might wonder, well, why hasn't uh, why hasn't this been done more often? You know, uh, it's pretty inconvenient lugging around all these books. Let's just slap some tattoos on the speakers and get rid of the books. Well, uh, Aramir tells us this process is apparently dangerous. His uh, blood had to be changed at the most fundamental of levels. Uh, and the elements infused into it. And he says uh, many of his kind did not survive the process. And Baz kind of takes this to mean that Prompt V. Luxor was this kind of like mad scientist, right? Oh, man, that's a pretty cruel guy, Aramir. But, but uh, our book dragon quickly corrects Baz. And you know, the dragons volunteered for this process because it was a great honor as Prompt V. Luxor was attempting to, quote, Restore the orators to their old powers. Uh, what? <laughs> um, of course, uh, Baz immediately asks what Aramir means by that, the old powers, but Aramir demurs. He does, he, he does not answer uh, that, though it still seems pretty plain, right? You know, uh, their old powers, as would seem to imply that it was once possible for men and women to cast spells without books. And the Enigma was trying to figure out how to once more grant them uh, that power. And then, of course, uh, you know, why Why didn't he? Why didn't he succeed? Well, the Dark Ones ruined his work, Aramir tells us. Um, and sometimes, Aramir tells us, he can still hear the Dark Ones' voices uh, when he sleeps. Hmm. Um, man. Interestinger and interesting. Uh, first, you know, Baz, Baz recalls that he, too, recently heard some voices um, when he cast that shadow spell uh, to save Rox and Deliritus from Marla and, uh, and Hellar. And uh, also, those of you with good memories will also recall Prontvi Lextor was hearing voices uh, in the prologue. What does that mean? Um, well... I'm gonna, let, I'm gonna leave you to draw your own conclusions about that for now, but whoa. Um, pretty significant here. Um, definitely don't lose sight of this, and unlike some things where I know I, in the past weeks I've dropped a few things that I told you um, maybe aren't gonna be relevant until later on in the series, this is gonna be relevant uh, pretty soon here, so keep this top of mind. Um, let me see here. Oh, one, uh, one other quick note, 
Um, also about why tattoos aren't aren't used. Remember that new spoken books can only be created by uh, by bound, right? So the bounder, like speakers, speakers are bound to the books. They can draw the power from them, um, but none of the speakers can write. Uh, so we can probably safely presume that the same rule for creating books holds true for the tattoos. So the fact that there's no tattooing is likely also for the same reason there are no new books, because no bound slash speakers uh, are able to write. Um, so there's a, another explanation for you. And uh, let's see, did I have something else? Another point here to make about uh, the tattoos? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. All right, let's move on. Very few, our next quick little subheading here. Uh, Baz's conversation with Aramir is cut short because Rox exits, exits the cave. Uh, Aramir agrees to watch over Deliritus while Rox is gone, and then they are quickly on their way, flying on Aramir's back. Uh, flying on Aramir's back, back to Tome. I guess not back to Tome, to Tome, right. They have not been there before. While in flight, Baz asks Aramir, how many other book dragons uh, are there? And uh, Aramir replies, very few. Um, apparently there are those who find the book dragons far more valuable dead than breathing. Um, you know, Baz is kind of troubled by that, and he can't imagine anyone wanting to hurt someone like Aramir, but hold, hold that thought uh, uh, just for one moment. Uh, one other point you need to make here, and then we'll get back to that. But uh, as they're flying, um, they, they see Tome out in the distance, though they're much closer than they were when we saw it a few chapters back. So uh, a little easier to make out now. Uh, oddly, the tall tower of the Great Library seems largely intact. Now it's withstanding time's decay, it would seem, uh, save for its roof, which has been blown off, uh, presumably during the burning. Uh, so is there some sort of magic going on here? Because uh, the rest of the city certainly hasn't held up so well. Most of the buildings are a little more than uh, Baz tells us. Piles of rocks, rubble heaps covered in centuries-old decay. So, uh, interesting little tidbit here. The tower seems to not be aging while the rest of the city has certainly fallen to ruin. Um, and then, alright, our last little subsection of chapter 24 here. This is a... Wow. There's a little narrating tip there for you. When uh, a, a word ends with the same similar sound as the next word right after it, that's that can screw you up like narrating. This is as far as I may go. And the, uh, this is, you know, this ends in is and then is. Your uh, tongue can triple for that, so. This is as far as I may go. Uh, Aramir sets them down at the very outskirts of the city. Uh, still a decent walk into the ruins, but remember, Aramir will go no further because of his failed oath, uh, though he still says he wants to help however he can. So he tells Baz to remove an object he has in a pouch that's hanging from his neck. And Baz gasps when he sees it. Now, we know this thing has to be something pretty special because Baz doesn't really seem like the gasping type. Am I, am I right? I mean, I know I wrote Baz, and so obviously... Uh, I guess kind of what I say about him uh, goes, right? But I think, I hope everyone out there agrees. Baz is not really the gasping type here. 
but this impresses him. Uh, her description here. A viscous liquid glowed within, swirling about the container as if it had free will. Baz couldn't say what color it was. Each time he looked, it seemed to be a different one of the five heroes of the elemental quintet. Um, and it's a vial. This is a vial of dragon blood. Uh, Aramir's known, so book of dragon blood, really. Uh, and according to rocks, uh, there is no greater gift. There, there is no greater gift. Um, uh, Aramir directs Baz to give it to the keepers of what remains, though Aramir declines to tell Baz uh, who exactly the keepers of what remains are, or who they are. Uh, their secrets are not for me to tell, Aramir says. You will know them. Know them. Mysterious. Um, but, uh, you can bet we're gonna be meeting these keepers here in pretty short order. Um, uh, right, and remember, uh, just a minute ago I told you to hold on to that thought about people wanting to kill the book dragons. Uh, so the text doesn't draw this connection directly, but if their blood is as valuable as Rox says, perhaps that's why some people want to kill them. We have book dragon poachers out there, uh, don't know, but that would seem to be a logical conclusion to draw here. Um, of course, we don't know yet why their blood is so valuable, but we will soon keep listening. Um, while Rox is still staring in wonder at the book dragon blood, Baz calls Aramir over conspiratorially. Did I pronounce that right? Conspiratorially? I guess. Uh, he asks the dragon for a favor. But we don't hear what he asks. Well, this probably isn't important uh, at all, right? You know, why? Well, you know, if you can't hear it, I'm sure. I'm sure this doesn't matter at all. Let's just let's just move on from this. Move on. Um, no. Uh, Baz seems to think whatever he asks Aramir is going to help him uh, survive, and he gets out of tome with his hide intact. So, uh, interesting. What could, uh, what could he be asking Aramir to do that'll help him out back at Erstwhile? I don't know. But we will soon enough. Uh, not today, though. Uh, and then Aramir flies away, and Rocks and Baz head off into the ruins. And they're actually exchanging jokes with one another. As they go, uh, whether Baz wants to admit it or not. Certainly getting a little more comfortable around the, uh, the big man here. Uh, right, so we launch right into chapter 25, Magic. That's our subheading here to start chapter 25. Baz and Rox have an uneventful day walking to the ruins from where Aramir dropped them off. Uh, and they camp for the night in the shell of an abandoned house. They have dinner, and Baz is getting ready to get some sleep when Rox stretches his hand, stretches his hand out over their small fire. Uh, he's holding his completed worm tooth necklace. Remember, he's been working on that since he uh, cut the head off the worm back in, oh, I don't know, what was that, chapter 15, maybe? Uh, and he wants Baz to have it. The necklace, this big worm tooth necklace that, um, this is apparently a big deal, right? Now, listen to how Rox describes it. <clears throat> in Enigma, when someone tries to trick you, but you see through their ruse, we say, you can't fool a worm, for a worm knows no lies. A worm's talisman grants its owner insight for all the truth. Oops. 
would have had to reread that whole section again if we were narrating, but we're not going to do that here. A worm's talisman grants its owner insight from the all-truth herself and ability to see through deceit. Um, remember, the all-truth is kind of the, the mother of worms, right, who apparently had no uh, shadow, the fifth element here in her. And uh, Rock's called Shadow the Element of Wise, so that's why the Enigmans believe uh, the all-truth worm uh, knew, knew, knew no lies, right? And that's why they worship her, because Enigmans are all about the truth. Um, so this is a significant object in Rock's uh, culture, right? And he's, he's giving it to Baz, um, because Baz saved him from the worm. Uh, you take it, and my thanks, Rock says. You know, he... If, if we had any doubt, he, he clears it up here. He is thanking Baz for what he did earlier. Uh, but Baz doesn't want to take it. You know, he can't take a gift from a man he doesn't even like. Um, so he tells Rox, you know, maybe I saved you, but I did it for selfish reasons. Uh, I needed you for survival. Uh, not because I cared about your safety. Um, right. Something here in the script, and then what does he say? Yeah, yeah, right. I needed you for survival, not because I cared about your safety. I can't believe there's much of your truth in that, Rocks. You know, I'm basically calling himself a liar, at least in Rox's lexicon. Uh, the words stung Baz's mouth worse than any misspoken spell as they left his lips. Uh, Baz insists he doesn't regret these words, right? But of course we know he's saying that because he actually feels the opposite. Uh, he is starting to come around to rocks and he feels bad about turning down the big man's kind gesture. Uh, but rocks is undeterred and he follows up with uh, one of my favorite exchanges in the book, I think. Um, so after Baz has tried to turn down the necklace, uh, rocks kind of... Uh, you know, he kind of thinks for a moment, and then he says, My mother once told me there is magic in truth. Magic? What's that? I do not know, Rox replied, but I think that's the point. The big man held the necklace out toward Baz with renewed vigor. Now, I'm not sure how many of you have noticed, but I don't use the word magic in this or most of my other writing. Um, and that's because magic, by definition, implies something fantastical or not understood. And, uh, you know, so of course, from our real world, looking into the world of oration, what they do with the spoken books and the elements is certainly magic. But uh, in world, in oration, uh, that's just the way things work. You know, there are spoken books, there are readers, there are speakers. You know, the speakers are attuned to the elements. They are bound to the books. So why would they call it magic? It's not magic. It's not fantastical or not understood. Um, so this never really made sense to me, so I kind of avoid the term. Uh, but here, uh, Rox does use the word. So there's something special about uh, worm teeth, uh, according to him. Something we don't understand about them. Uh, what did he? Uh, what did he see? If what did he say a few lines ago? It grants the ability, the ability to see through deceit. Uh, right. So maybe, uh, maybe that's something more than just a bit of superstitious dogma here. Uh, the ability to see through deceit. What does that mean? Uh, we can't be sure for now. But Baz does eventually accept the the gift. Um, if 
begrudgingly. So, um, probably gonna have some significance here to this Wormtooth necklace. At some point, so remember what Rox said here, the magic, there is magic in this necklace. Um, of course, Baz is still not facing reality here at the end of, end of this scene. I don't get any ideas, Rox. I still don't like you. Uh, which, of course, again, if Baz really felt this way, he wouldn't feel inclined to say this aloud now, would he? Cityless, our next subsection here. Baz is awoken by rocks at dawn uh, because a band of cityless have walked past their hiding spots. Rock suggests they follow them as perhaps they'll lead them to books. Baz nearly dismisses this idea, right? But then he rethinks his opinion of the cityless. Rethinks! Huh. Talking like delirious there. Then he rethinks his opinion of the cityless. Now, his only source of information about Cityless is from uh, the readers, right? And we know how biased the readers can be, right? Baz seems to put this together, and he also puts together that the only Cityless he's ever seen, that guy who was getting tortured back in the beginning of the book, you know, he can apparently read. Um, so maybe it's not so uh, far-fetched that the Cityless might lead them to some books. So maybe Rox is onto something here. Still, Baz isn't going to take any risks either, is he? So he, he pulls out a book and casts one of the few spells he tells us that he actually has a lot of experience with. A sound deadening spell. Uh, you see how I put the deadening in there? Because Baz is a destroyer, right? So uh, has to be killing something with the spell, right? So he's, he's killing sound with the spell. So it still fits. Uh, I'm not breaking any rules in the magic system here. Um, so this is one that Deliritus had him cast frequently, so he could sneak off to see Delida in the middle of the night. Remember, Delida is his creation speaker, the one who was supposed to accompany him on the trials. And Baz implied earlier that her and Deliritus have an ongoing affair with one another, so apparently Baz was a little com complicit in that affair, casting this spell for Deliritus. Um... Maybe also just a quick aside here. Did we notice the symbolism? Baz is now carrying the book pack. You know, the torch of power here has kind of passed. You know, Baz is uh, moving into the position that uh, only the readers had at the beginning of the book. Um, so, you know, making my high school English teachers proud with that uh, little bit of symbolism there. Right, uh, moving on. Uh, so they start following the cityless who are apparently on patrol. They're on patrol, right, for contestants in the trials. Uh, Baz overhears some talking, and it actually sounds like the Cityless have been tracking them since the Firelands, which obviously surprises Baz, because they did not see any Cityless uh, up until this point. But so perhaps uh, the Cityless are a bit more organized than the breeders back in Erstwhile would like to think. Um, they would have to be if they have such a expansive scouting network like that, stretching deep into the Firelands. Um, Let's see, what else here? What else? The Cityless leader. She is a young woman named Emma. Green shirt with yellow embroidery. She appears to be carrying a bag with a book inside. Bingo. That's a good call, Rox. Let's follow her. Um, so Rox and Baz follow them for quite a while, right? Kind of winding, uh, winding back and forth down the uh, abandoned, ruined streets here while the Cityless are doing their patrol. And finally, we end up walking down a broad avenue that leads to the base of the Great Library's tower. And here, Baz is a little perplexed. There's a bunch of rubble piled up all around the tower. There's nowhere to go. But then Emma takes that book out of the bag that uh, 
out of her bag that we saw a little earlier, and she begins speaking. So, uh, so she's a cuss, or or is it an orator here? Um, still don't quite know yet, but you got to think maybe the cityless aren't calling calling her a cuss because uh, none of the other cityless with her seem to be at all concerned about this. In fact, they all turn around and uh, kind of guard her back. So clearly, uh, they are not surprised when she starts um, speaking. Uh, and reading. So, uh, you know, it appears who this, or it appears that this Sidious who was caught at the beginning of the book wasn't just an isolated incident, right? More of the Sidious can read, and so kind of the first two Sidious we've really laid eyes on, both of them can read, so uh, you can bet there's more of them, right? So Emma finishes her spell and a portion of the rubble vanishes, revealing a tall oak door with an ornate handle in the shape of a quail. Where does this, where does this lead? Where, where are we going? We're going into the Great Library? Man. Um, well, not quite yet. Because um, we're, uh, we're interrupted here, right? Uh, today, you are my oath. Uh, our final section of analysis today. Um, right, we don't find out where this door goes yet because rubble suddenly crashes to the ground behind baths and rocks. Baz catches a glimpse of Hellar running around a corner. He has exposed them to the cityless ah, the dastardly Hellar. Uh, Baz curses and reaches for a book, but pulls out that book of shadow he used earlier and immediately drops it. Uh, did he hear those voices again when he touched it? Uh, maybe just his imagination, but he is certainly not using that book, which uh, leaves it up to rocks to defend them. And, uh, like the heading said, he tells Baz that today Baz is his oath. He, uh, you know, for Deliritus' well-being, he's got to keep Baz safe. So then he charges out into the cityless like a mad bull, which I suppose is valiant and sounds heroic, but probably not the best idea here, Rox. Um, this is the first time we've really seen Rox in battle, and at least initially he does live up to, uh, to the, to the billing, right? He's certainly a force. He crashes into the cityless like a mad bull into a flock of sheep. He cuts one's hand off, breaks another's nose, makes a third run away. But then Emma catches him in a spell, freezing him in place. Oh no. Uh, and then a moment later, another Sidilus who snuck around behind Baz holds a knife to his throat, and our heroes are caught. What's going to happen? The Dark Knight of the Soul. Um, well, maybe, not, uh, maybe we're not quite to the Dark Knight of the Soul here yet, but certainly not a good position for, our, uh, for Baz and company to be in here. Uh, Emma proves to be a hard woman here, too, right, with her cold, gray eyes. She's upset over the injuries to her friends and orders Rox be killed as he's too much of a risk. Um, too much of a risk for what? A little, little unclear, though that'll become clearer as we read on here. Of course, Baz immediately objects, as if we needed more evidence uh, that he likes Rox by this time. Um, you know, Baz, Baz tells us, you know, Rox is just trying to fulfill his promise. He's just doing what every man hopes to be able to do, fighting for something he believes in. Why should Rox die for that? So Baz, frantically thinking, he comes up with an idea to save him. Show them the blood, Rox, the blood, the book dragon blood. Um, is that going to work? I don't know. But we will next week when we read chapter 26, and that is your homework assignment. Read chapter 26. Uh, it's a nice short one. Um, I think it's only like five or six pages. Um, and that'll be next week's episode. We'll read that and do the analysis because it's it's 
so short. So it'll be a nice, sweet episode next week. And then the following week, um, I will finally be back with all of you to our regularly scheduled programming. Uh, chapter 27 is a doozy of a chapter. So, uh, you know, charge up your AirPods before you listen to chapter 27 because it's going to take a while. Um, right, so that's it. No listening questions or quest this week since I'm on vacation. But we do have a quote. Uh, this week's quote comes from Andre Sapkowski, and I did have to look up how to pronounce his name uh, before uh, before I read this. <laughs> uh, he is, of course, the author of the Witcher series, um, now the big TV show on Netflix. Um, and this quote is a nice short one. There's a grain of truth in every fairy tale. Isn't that the truth? Um, and now, if you're following along in the newsletter, you'll see I actually write out a short essay interpreting our quote of the week, which I will read to you now. So, <clears throat> by definition, fantasies are made up, which begs the question, why read a story where the impossible happens? Therein lies the genre's beauty, as the answers are diverse. Fantasy satisfies a variety of desires. Perhaps you seek pure escapism, a whimsical world apart from the confines of the mundane. Relax as the elves sing, taste that elderberry wine, cheer as the hero slays the dragon. Though not in the spoken books uprising, right? We don't, well, these book dragons, we don't want to kill them. Maybe the fire breathers. Yeah. We'll cheer as we kill the fire breathers. Okay, back to the essay. Uh, or maybe you struggle with a difficult topic and seek to tackle it in a safe setting, the backdrop of magic and monsters serving as a buffer between you and unsettling truths. At times, it is easier to examine a thing through a filter of the fantastic. Or perhaps you want it all. A great story that both transports you to another world and challenges you to consider the difficult questions of your own. Questions that many would prefer to leave unanswered. In this respect, the realm of fantasy can hold a greater truth than reality. All right, our quote of the week again from Andrzej Sapkowski, author of The Witcher series. That one in particular is from The Last Wish, which is one of The Witcher books. Uh, and that's all. Uh, I'd love to hear what you think of these essays, this one or another one. Uh, and if you have a quote that you think would uh, be a good quote of the week that I could uh, wax philosophic on for a few paragraphs, send that over to me, dtkane at dtkane.com. Um, and until next time, this has been D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. D.T. Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for D.T. Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, 
You can find DT Kane on Facebook at DT Kane Author or Twitter at DT Kane Author. Or send DT Kane an email at DT Kane at DT Kane.com. See you next week.